Hey guys, welcome to episode 117 of the JV Club with my guest, my dear friend and former dinner and a movie co-host, Paul Gilmartin. So happy to have him on. I mean, is there a time when I haven't said that in an intro? Tell me the last time in an intro I said, oh boy, what a... What a mess. I never should have had this person on. Uh, listen, I like to repeat myself. That's just the uh, the way it goes. Um, I wanted to uh, do a couple of things on this intro. Um, first, I wanted to maybe just get some shout outs out there. Get that done. Um, I wanted to thank uh, for your lovely emails. I wanted to thank Nick and Karen and Maria. Uh, I wanted to thank from uh, Danny's Nordist page, Sydney, Stell, and PJ. I'm behind on Facebook and Twitter, so I'm going to skip that. I do want to tell everyone I got the t-shirts, guys. I actually got the t-shirts. They've been shipped. I've received them. Uh, unfortunately, I've been working like 16-hour days on uh, You're the Worst, that FX show that I've been doing, and um, I haven't been able to do much with them other than be real excited that I have them. And as you guys know, uh, if you're regular listeners to the podcast, I am about to leave for a week um, as I'm going to be going to do Kineticon, Connecticon boy don't want to flub that and uh and so when i get back before comic-con i am devoting a day to just getting stuff shipped out and getting the t-shirts priced for those of you who are interested in buying one so that really will happen um uh and then the other thing i wanted to just uh let you know about is that um uh some fine folks sent me a screener of this movie called premature that is now out and available to watch on demand and it uh, features the very handsome and charming alan tudyk whom i would love to have as a boys a a summer guy i feel like he's working i do know him but um I feel like as soon as I say how much I love Alan Tudyk, you guys are going to be like, he's going to be doing the podcast. So I want to just cut you off at the pass and say, that's probably not true, but it would be awesome if it were. Um, But anyway, it was described to me uh, as Groundhog's Day meets American Pie. I have to say that is a very apt comparison. Um, It's really cute. And uh, and I just wanted to encourage you to check it out. I loved that um, a listener of the podcast uh, understood that as a big fan of the teenage years, um, that that was something I might be interested in. Um, So I think that's it the only other thing i wanted to say about this episode with paul is that and um and paul if you're listening to your own episode i just want to say i love you but uh this is a tough episode it's it can get very graphic um there's very frank depictions of sex um and uh and there's some you know emotional stuff that paul went through as a young man that is uh, not really talked about in detail on this podcast because i wanted to encourage you if you're interested to please go ahead and check out his podcast i do mention it on the on on this episode but uh, the mental illness happy hour um you can get a lot more information about uh, paul's specific experience but um I just wanted to let you know that if if you you know plan to listen to this uh, you know on the bus or at work or if you're one of my younger Cora fans this might not be the episode for you again all due respect and love to Paul he understands why I'm saying that so uh, not to be controversial but uh, I'll uh, let that be the segue into this episode now entering nerdist.com That is actually how I start every podcast. Ashaka Khan. Ashaka Khan. We, for, the, 
For those of you who don't know why that would be funny to either one of us, other than its innate funniness, we we used to do. First of all, I let me be clear. If there was ever a question of whether I really knew what song that's from, I don't really. Like it lives kind of isolated in just a thing you would do to me on set at dinner in a movie. Usually, right, right while we're sort of waiting for them to reset a light, we're just standing next to each other. We're not speaking, and all of a sudden, you turn to me very intently and quizzically, like you're asking me a real and important biting question, and that's what you do. Chakakan. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's a dinner in a movie chestnut ah uh, what song is that from is the song uh, called it was Ch- a, a song uh, that chaka khan uh sang and uh why does someone say her so, so some other guy says yeah. her name at the at the beginning of it <laughs> <laughs> it was mid 80s uh-huh. early to mid 80s and uh i had a roommate in college who would do that he would just look at me and he would just go chaka khan and then he would bungle the lyric. He would just mush mouth his way through it. You know? And that was the funniest part to me because he would do it. He he knew it made me laugh, but he would do it so seriously. And I've just, it's just, it always stuck with me. So I ripped it off, basically. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. I feel like I've ripped off so many things that you do that make me laugh that I've taken into other environments, which I was saying before we started the podcast. But like, in that case, it really is a sincerest form of flattery. It is. It I is. mean, it's not like you're taking that up on stage. Right. Are you taking that up on stage? What Shaka if that was Khan, your entire I hope in my show. Shakan? Shakan? <laughs> then I pop lock. <laughs> leading to no- oh, leading to pop locking. Sure. I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. I can't believe I thought it would just exist yeah. on its own. Well, what's nice is now I'm as I'm getting older, um, I'm in a category of arthritic pop lockers, which is <laughs> its own. There's more drama in it because you're sure. like, oh, his arm is stuck. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> is he going to get out of this one? So it's kind of part Houdini, part break into electric boogaloo. <laughs> yes. Thank you for capturing the magic of arthritis and ailing bodies. Thanks for capturing the Downton Abbey-esque drama (laughs) of growing frail. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. Beach, I'm so excited to be able to have you do the podcast. I've been looking forward to this since you asked me to do it, and that's no exaggeration. And also, I only asked you like a week ago, because that's when I started doing this. I know, but I'm like, for for one, I get to see you, because we haven't hung out in a little while, and two, it's a chance where I know I'm going to be able to talk about myself. That's true. So those two. This is actually a podcast where I ask people to just talk about me and anything that they don't already know they like about me. They have to guess. It's just a series of guesses. Very disappointing. Yeah, about what I'm like and what I'm into. But but in all seriousness, um, you are one of a very small uh, group of friends who know all of my deepest, darkest secrets and have seen me at my absolute most wrecked and and vulnerable. And you were one of the first people when I, you know, had kind of a breakdown two years ago. You were on this very couch. You were one of the people that I was just like, I have to go see Janet. I have to. Um, I just need the comfort 
of Janet. And I, you know, I think really early in our relationship on Dinner and a Movie, we just opened up to each other about really heavy shit in our lives and dark yeah. stuff. And uh, I've just always felt that comfort with you. And I ye- feel the same. And yet you repulse me. And yet I repulse you. Yeah. I didn't see the sentence ending that way. Oh, yeah. It's a war. It's a, <laughs> it's a war because I open up while I experience nausea yeah. looking at your face. Oh, my and God. This is yeah. very illuminating. Yeah. I knew we were going to talk about me, but this is not the I, direction I, I, I was planning on taking I could, it. I could not let that sincere moment lay there because it felt... <laughs> Too naked and vulnerable, and I was afraid somebody was going to think I was cheesy that was listening. That's uh, You needn't worry about that with this podcast. This is a bunch of people who know I can cheese out with the best of them and the worst of them. Um, but I, and I'm, unfortunately, I'm going to keep it going for a second because I feel like <clears throat> what is, what has become so important to me about this podcast and what is so uh, wonderful about your podcast is this sort of idea of like trimming the fat a little bit. And that doesn't mean that there can't be light moments. And sometimes I have an episode that's entirely light, which is probably not quite the same for you, but that, um, you know, in, on this American life, my friend Starly kind, who's done the podcast, she did a, she has a speech even that she gives. And I'm, of course, I'm not going to be able to remember exactly what she calls it. But essentially, she's she's basically like, let's cut the bullshit with everyone all the time. This is how you get there. And she gives an example where she actually plays an interview that she does with like a guy giving her coffee at Starbucks. She asks him like two pointed questions. And she's like, see, it's great. Within like 30 seconds, I knew when this guy lost his virginity, whether he was in a relationship, <laughs> what his mom thought about his hair, da, da, da. She's like, that's... She's she's like, I encourage connections that exist quickly on a much deeper level where you sort of get rid of the small talk, like get rid of the small talk. And I feel like you never know if you're going to have that with someone, but you and I just like immediately it just when felt, we first met, just, we yeah. were just like, oh, let's talk about how like real and human and vulnerable and broken we are and laugh about it. And I remember when you told me when I was like, yeah, you know, I, when I was younger, I used to have these terrible panic attacks. And like, sometimes I worry that I'm going to get one again. And you were just, I couldn't even believe I was telling you that. And then your immediate reaction was like, well, if you do just talk about it, make fun of it on camera and like, we'll get through it together. And I thought, I'm going to love working with this man. And then I branded you with an iron. And then you, yeah, clocked me with it. Branded me is like you... It was yeah, lukewarm, you, you which doesn't... swung it at yeah, me and hit yeah. me in the face. So not yeah. only was I branded, but I was also clocked by it immediately. Yeah. But people then knew you were mine from then on. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> what if brand... I guess branding... I mean, I guess tattooing is essentially... Like when you tattoo your someone else's name on you, mm. I was watching, which is this. always a good idea. It's never ever about never idea. regrets on that. But you can get a tattoo removed so easily now. It's just like can marriage; you? you can sort of just do it and kind of mean it. But isn't it like multiple painful trips to get it I mean, removed? Kind of, yeah. I don't know though. I have a friend who has a tattoo of his wife from whom he is now divorced, and uh, and he had he had one treatment with this new machine mm-hmm. and it is like 50 percent gone i mean it is going to be gone very soon but to be fair his is inside his pee hole <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah that's true they only had to get rid of the first letter that's true <laughs> i didn't know you knew him this is uh i do yeah yeah you guys are tight yeah um but uh anyway so i listen i'm delighted to have you i guess that about wraps it up 
Good to see you. It's great seeing you. If pe- I-, I wish that people could see the pose that I am in right now. I'm on your couch in a pose that Blanche Dubois would have thought <laughs> was overly dramatic. <laughs> You kind of are like on a fainting couch in a yes. position. I look like I have the vapors. Sometimes I like to lie down, but see, I can't see you now if I'm yeah. also lying down, but sometimes I like yeah. to lie down on the old foam roller. These guys yeah. know that. Scott's doing a little shake out. There you are. Foam roller is the best. Foam roller is the best. Um, all right. right, I'm going to get right into it with you. Let's get into it. I'm going to just get in and dig deep. And people who've listened to your podcast probably know a little bit about a little bit to a lot about what your teenage years were like Mm -hmm. um but uh listeners of this podcast many of whom i think have listened to my episode of your podcast because i've gotten Mm -hmm. some definite crossover huge amounts of downloads of yours yours is one of the um, top uh certainly one of the top 10 most uh, downloaded of the 170 uh we've done maybe even in the the top five yeah um well i am delighted that it's reached people and that i mean i definitely every time i get an email from someone who's listened to that episode who you know is whether they are or not going through something as specific and strange as kind of what i went through um i'm so glad that i did it and and so glad that it you know and the same with maria my episode with maria bamford um on my podcast because we kind of talk a little bit about mental illness but it is interesting it's like this sort of i was telling the story about um to a friend of mine about a girl that i went to um high school uh junior high with but whom i've known ever since and uh and she has tourette's and it is an entirely world apart different kind of illness challenge uh, you know however you want to look at it than what than what i went through but there is a sort of vulnerability and trust and acceptance i think between anyone who's had any sort of because there's a burden anybody who's ever said and i think there are more of us than we even know any of us who've ever said in a legitimate way i think i'm going crazy Mm-hmm. whatever that turns out to be, whether it's mental, physical, emotional, when you've gone down that road and kind of climbed back out of it, um, I feel like there is this sort of secret handshake, like secret emotional handshake yep. with other people where you're like, listen, I, we both know that f- human beings are fragile in certain mm-hmm. ways and you have my unconditional acceptance in, in part in a way that I wouldn't be able to give you otherwise. I don't know. You know? Do you agree with that? I was just saying to to s- somebody the other day, might even been on my podcast, that there is no group of people that I connect as immediately and as deeply with as people who were sexually violated as children, especially females and especially um, people who experienced incest. Um, it is a, um, its own beautiful, awful club because it, it's not about the physical stuff that happened. It's about being used and being given the message that you don't matter. Mm-hmm. And it affects you on such a profoundly deep level that, um, and I, and I would, by the way, include in this, um, because I struggled with a long time calling what happened to me uh, incest because she never touched my junk. Um, but it 
the drinking in with the eyes, the talking to you like you're a lover or a boyfriend or a confidant or, or a girlfriend, you know, for females that, that had it um, done to them, I think is every bit as, as damaging as the person who was um, raped. It, maybe not every bit is damaging, but it, it, it leaves a damage that in many ways is, is very um, similar and also has the added burden that you go back and forth in your mind about whether or not it counts and you're making it up you're exaggerating it for attention you're just trying to play the victim you're throwing this parent under the bus because the other thing that you share is um or or at least that you struggle with is um that you you have trouble having having compassion for yourself and you have had positive experiences oftentimes with this caretaker um but many times it wasn't genuine on their part because they were grooming you to get your trust down or you don't know if that was the case yeah, so you don't it's know such a, it's basically a mind fuck and yeah. a landmine of mind fucks yes i'm uh, sure but that you know that was a long-winded way of me saying that 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 bond that club um in a million years i would have never guessed that that would be the people um who I feel comfortable collapsing in front of and whose hugs and um, nice words touch me and a, and a place in my soul that um, other people only partially mm. get to because you know in your bones. When you've met somebody that you know in your bones knows what it feels like, um, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's, I mean, I talk about that. I've talked about it on the podcast before, but just this, <clears throat> that idea that, you know, we all want to feel known and recognized in a way that kind of, God, I was also listening to, <laughs> I love that. I sometimes joke that certain podcast episodes become just me talking about other people's podcasts, but, uh, and I don't really listen to comedy podcasts. So it's always like a talk or you know uh this american life episode but that um woman whose ted talk has been Brene, is one of the most top brown about shame right that word i haven't listened to that one yet i heard hers on vulnerability but i imagine well, I that's think, great i think that's might be the same one she just talks about the fact that vulnerable I, I feel like she talks about vulnerability and shame in mm-hmm. the same podcast but this idea that th- that um vulnerability allows you to like let go of your shame because the 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 thing about shame is that it's secret right that it's it's that it's secret toxic and it makes you feel other it makes you feel you're separate and different and what's wrong with you has to be just what's wrong with you and no one else can have that and so when you have we all feel shame and we all feel that longing to connect but when you have something that's so specific that is that is isolating in the sense that it's it's different than oh I had my heart broken or oh I eat to feel better or or those things that I think we even kind of joke about in popular culture because it's so acknowledged oh my parents were Catholic and I'm a lapsed Catholic and that's the shame I feel whatever that is when it's something that's also societally really uncomfortable to talk about and it is uncomfortable it's uncomfortable you know I when you say when when I and I'm just being real here when you say the word incest my stomach gets uncomfortable in a different way than if you said like I don't know depression or 
you know, insecurity or zits or farts or anything else like that. There's something that is, that feels like extra sort of like, oh God, that anyone has to go through that. You know what I'm saying? And there's a, and because of that, it, I think it does set you into like this circle where your shame is a little further in. It's just a little harder to reach and it's, a little easier to feel completely isolated by. The, the thing that really fucking upsets me is how the abuse of um, boys by women is chuckled at right. these days. Um, I've interviewed so many guys who were... I mean, let's face it. The word the word should be uh, raped because they they were not at the age of consent, and an erection does not mean consent. And how people, these pundits on TV, you know, Tucker Carlson just had these gross things to say about how awesome it was that this fourteen year old boy got to have sex with a woman in her late twenties. And I suppose, in, in many ways, it's because that person doesn't understand what's what's happening in that that child's soul but um i hate that double standard um but it's really hard at being the gender who has dominated the globe well i think forever. that's a good point i think that's a good point i think that's that says as much about sexism as anything is the sort of like in a in a gross way it's one way of being able to say Here's an example of why everyone loses because of misogynist culture. Yeah. Everyone, not just women. The repercussions. Everyone loses. Yeah, and the repercussions. I mean, and the other thing that I try to explore with the podcast, too, is um, the voices that haven't been heard. People um, in the transgender community, um, people that uh, – boys that experienced um, – the, the things that we've been talking about where it, it's not understood and because you're not a part of the, for lack of a better word, the popular traumas, um, you you kind of get misunderstood or marginalized and it makes that, that recovery that much um that much more difficult. So, so let me let me get specific then and say, um, you know, when you were 14, 15, 16, 17, those sort of formative years when you're in high school, how did you, it's, I know it's hard to ask this because because of everything we just talked about, about kind of hindsight and, and self-definition and stuff like that being um, a retrospective thing sometimes for people, but how did you feel in your own skin when you were in high school what did you awful. how did you see yourself what, what kind of person did you think of yourself as awful um grade school was great in many ways i went to a small catholic grade school there was only 40 students i was popular i got along with everybody i made a point you know being a people pleaser to get along with everybody you know i was voted best personality nicest smile mm-hmm. um and i felt like there was nobody that you know, disliked me. I felt seen. Um, while I might have had this emotional poverty at home, school was something I enjoyed going to. Then I decided to go to the public high school. And mind you, around this time, um, boys were starting to enter puberty. I was still three years away. So when I was 16, I lied on my driver's license saying I was five feet, 100 pounds, thinking maybe someday I'll I'll get there. Oh. I, 
I had glasses. So I couldn't get a date to save my life. And having been sexualized as a child, you're hypersexual to begin with. So, you know, I would masturbate until sparks came out. I mean, it was, it was, that's an exaggeration. I don't think I ever masturbated more than twice a day, but it was my sanctuary. That and, yeah. and smoking weed and getting loaded probably saved me in, in many ways. So you're self-medicating. And I was absolutely self-medicating. And, um, did you feel, I've asked this to people before, but did you, did you, f- did you have any sense of that then? Like, None. did you have any sense? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. None. It was None. just, how can I become more attractive so that I can get out of this hellhole um, of sexual frustration that I'm in? And I started to grow when I was 17, and I got this, um, got this, listen to how low my self-esteem is. I asked this girl, um, I asked this girl out who was really cute, and um smart i mean she graduated either first or second in her class she was a year younger than me and all i could think about was what she looked like naked and she broke up with me the day after we went to prom and i couldn't understand why and i was heartbroken and one of the things she said was you don't listen to me and i couldn't even see that that she was just an object Hmm. to me because it was um that, that's just what it was that that's um i didn't have sisters um i didn't have close female friends that was my next question yeah, yeah. and i think that's why f- friendships with females um mean so much to me today because it's a learning experience mm. and it's that feminine warmth that i had never experienced until i was you know, aside from my wife, but you know, you know, Carla, she's, she's a bit stoic. She's not real touchy feely. Um, and so when I, when I meet a, a female who I feel like understands what I'm feeling in my bones and I get that, um, that sweet feminine energy it's like a glass of water for somebody who's been wandering the desert for for 40 years. And it feels awesome, but there's also a part of me that is pissed that I waited so long and that I discounted that aspect of women. Yeah. But I have to have compassion for myself and say, listen, you were abused. You did the abused. best you could. You did the best you, you could. The best you could. And you've been trying to get better. You know, you quit drinking and that helped you get to that place. You've gone to support groups, you know, for um, fear of intimacy. So you're, you've, you've earned this, this healing. But I look back and I think of the women that I objectified, and I'm sure some of them f- have fucking disgusting feelings about me today that they feel creeped out by how I treated them, uh, you know. Because uh, I was pretty... I was pretty... Um, uh, persistent as well. And I'm sure some women just got worn out and had sex when they didn't want to oh. and possibly even feel violated. And that sickens me when I, when I think about it. Um, and I'm, I'm not justifying it, but I also have to, I would have compassion for myself if, if somebody else was telling me my story. Yeah. But I have trouble having compassion for myself. And so I, I struggle with that today. Yeah. yeah. And when you were uh, 
and when you were a, a teenager, did you? What were your male friendships like? Like how much? Totally based on getting high and playing Led Zeppelin on guitar. And no talking about feelings yeah. uh, at all. Did I did I cut you off? Was there more? To no, your question? not at all. No, yeah. I was just. It's just interesting. One of the things that's been so fascinating about doing uh, this Boys of Summer series is that you know I've talked to a couple of people um, before you and. Um, I would say, you know, out of four, and those of you who listen to the podcast probably even know better than I do, but I think out of four people, um, 75%, so three out of four so far, and probably even Cole a little bit, um, the difference between, you know, because I spend so much time talking to women about what their relationships were like in high school, and so many of them have these really deep friendships with girls and with boys, um, to where they were asking the tough questions and they were sort of like wanting to be in understood and yearning for that connection and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and 75% of the people I've talked to so far for the boys of summer series say that their friendships were very surface and based on getting high or based on listening to music. And there wasn't a whole lot of scoring with girls and bragging about it. Yeah. So there, so I am really interested in that because even my friends, I had a lot of guy friends in high school, so I. But I know that they didn't have that experience because I was in their lives and I was having these kind of what felt like at the time profound conversations about life and what it's all about and love and what's what do I why do I want this and not this or you know. I don't know if I could have had that relationship with a female at that point because she would have fallen into one of two categories, which would have been I wanted to have sex with her or what's the point? I don't want to have sex with her. <laughs> Yet at the same time. I fantasized my whole life about having sisters. I just felt like I was missing out on something that I didn't know exactly what it was. And I didn't, once I started having female friends and opening up, um, in fact, I remember this moment where a, a, a female cousin came to stay with us for a week when I was a senior in high school. We went to a party together and I just remember this awesome feeling of feeling my life felt complete that week um, and I felt protective of her and I felt proud to be seen with her and I think that was the first time I felt like a part of me was being filled. It was like a precursor to what my later relationships would feel like. So did you ever, do you ever remember having feelings like even if it was like, I mean, I know with the with your size and like not hitting puberty and stuff, that makes it tough probably to play sports. It was, and I was, you know, I was a decent athlete as a, you know, as a grade schooler. You know, I made the all star team in baseball, um, but any, and I was good at hockey. But any sport that required some bit of size just got further and further away from me, and. Um, so it, I just felt like a loser. Did I you just, read books? Did you? Not a lot. Like Mostly love movies? It was, like when did you, you know, how, how did comedy Love comedy. I always in? felt like I wanted to be a, a stand-up comedian. Had been studying it unconsciously. You know, when they would come on The Tonight Show, I would be annoyed if anybody would talk when it was on because I was just absorbing it. And, and I noticed one time that everybody was laughing and I wasn't laughing. And I went, oh, I'm studying it. That's why. Oh, that's interesting to it, have that self-awareness. Yeah. And making people laugh was my, that was my sport. 
Uh, I think in grade school, yeah, I made people laugh, but I was surrounded by some seriously funny people. And I just like being around funny people. But in high school, I felt like I had to be the group of friends I was around no longer were those people that had great senses of humor. And so and there wasn't that closeness. You know, when you get to to puberty, there's almost like a distance that you begin to have um, where you're not as open. You're not maybe as 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 vulnerable. Um, So humor became the thing that I used to try to pull people close to me. If I could make them laugh, I felt safe. What were the people that you were hanging out with like? What were, what were they into? What were they? Smoked weed and yeah. played guitars. Just dudes. I, I, bunch yeah. of dudes. Not good students. Just some like good just dudes. dudes who like to laugh and play guitar and smoke pot. Yeah. And um, it, it was not an emotionally safe place. We had fun, but there was no, you know, my soul is being fed from from these experiences yeah and um the high school that i went to um it was it was called homewood flossmore and i was from homewood which was more um middle class and flossmore was very upper class um i mean for instance our our high school because of the money from flossmore we had an indoor track and field we had an ice skating rink we had. I have to imagine you also had great dental hygiene because the constant <laughs> yeah. reminder built into the name. Isn't that crazy? I don't know how you could. But when I became friends with these, where guys- is this? Sorry, when you say indoor ice rink, I suddenly realized that I'm doing that thing where I know, I know, but the listener doesn't. So we had a campus. Our so high where, school was a where little in, in, in where but south suburbs where. of Chicago. There you go. Um, we had racquetball courts. Uh, we had two soccer fields. It, it was, um, and the thing about the kids from Flossmore who I became friends with was, it was about money and it was about what you had, mm. and I just always felt different from them because I didn't really care that much about money and stuff. I just wanted to have fun. I wanted to laugh. So the moments I cherished the most were moments where we laugh, where we threw snowballs at cars and could get a car to screech its tires and try to chase after mm-hmm. us. And we would laugh until we, you know, until we were, you know, puking. Yeah. Those are, that's how I got close to people was yeah. um, pushing the boundaries as yeah. a kid. So in many ways, a really typical uh, high school experience. But in yeah. um, the sadness and, you know, um feeling like oh the answer is to kill myself that that wouldn't come until probably my late my late 20s but um well it's interesting too because when you're in high school i think um and not to say that people don't experience you know crippling depression because they do i certainly had friends who you know um were very unhappy or 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 had some real signs of mental illness coming through then that were like visible to us or acknowledged in some way. I mean, I podcast Tina, of course, who mm-hmm. whom you also podcasted, um, and her mental illness really started to kind of come to a head when she was seventeen, eighteen, still in high school. But um, but I also think that uh, you know you you're just busier. Right. I mean, you when it's easier to curb, I think, those kinds of feelings or ignore them or push through them or whatever when you're when you're in high school, because you just have things you got to do. And And when you're in your 20s, suddenly it's your time is your own. And, 
you're responsible for how that time gets spent. And it can get really easy, I think, to fall down the rabbit hole of like, I don't have the structure that I had. I was just going to say, the structure is imposed on you in high school. And there's an energy I think you just have when you're in your teens. Yeah, some of it is angst, but the other part of it is just you... I think there's just more genetic joy in you at the, at that age. You're so resilient. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a lot of that stuff you bury starts to catch up to you in your late teens, your early twenties. And, um, you know, for some of us, it doesn't, it doesn't come out until sometimes we're in our forties and then we get clarity on, on, listen, I don't want to scare any of our youngsters. <laughs> but just well, look at your stuff, guys. Well, it's okay. <laughs> what, but what they have today that we didn't is they have a roadmap being laid for them uh, through podcasts, through, you know, we didn't have Oprah when we were kids. Um, we didn't we didn't have the internet to uh, read other people's stories. So mm-hmm. we, I think we felt very much like our situation was unique, but a lot of kids don't even know they have a situation. Yeah. You don't know it until you begin to step on toes and your life becomes unmanageable um, or you begin to fight an addiction. And, you know, for me, until I got my drinking spiral out of control, I didn't know anything was wrong with me. Yeah. Until I went to see a psychiatrist. I'm the first psychiatrist I went to see. I kind of spilled my guts about what was going on, and she literally rolled her eyes <laughs> like, holy shit. And that was the first time I was like, oh, maybe I do qualify to to be saying, please help me. Yeah. Something's wrong with me. She rolled her she eyes. She rolled her eyes. I eventually left her because she, she would, when she would give me, you know, a game plan for what we we're going to do. She would always pose it as a question, like, "What do you think?" And I was just like, "I want somebody that has more, mm. more authority and more yeah. uh, sureness about where they're, what they what they want me to do." Right. And I eventually found one who was a psychiatrist who's great, and he refused to treat me until I quit drinking, and it saved my mm. life. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if I knew that. I don't know if that I you told if I knew that yeah. part of your story that somebody. That a professional was like, yeah, I, I'll help you, but like, here's what you have to meet me with this starting point. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, it saved my life, I think. Because I didn't, I just didn't want, I didn't want help. And that's the thing about mental illness is you're the last person that wants help because you don't feel like getting help because you're depressed and you're hopeless and you think, what's the point? So you just keep reaching for that same stinky blanket that <laughs> helps you cope, you know, pornography, drinking, um, isolating, cutting, binge eating, anorexia, what, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but it didn't, um, I couldn't see any of that when I was, when I was a teenager. I just, you know what my fantasy was as a teenager was, was grandiosity was, um, I thought I needed to impress people that would lead me to safety. And so I thought if I can become famous, if I can get into show business and become famous, that will save me. Hmm. And um, I remember... Yeah, you really did it. You really blew out the sort of kid in grade school who got best smile and best personality and just turned that... You were like, that's what you knew was a thing that had worked for you. So what's the next... Ver- what's the biggest version of that you can imagine? Oh, well, everyone knows who I am. I'm on television or I'm on in movies or whatever. But it's like I perverted the genuineness of that kid because that kid really did care about people yeah you know i was a sweet kid i was 
um, I was nice. Um, and then when I sprouted pubes, it's like anger came with it. You know, I'll take pubes with a side of anger. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was, um, I changed and I was in a dark place for a long time because I used people. Um, I abused myself. Um, I, my morals were, uh, not something that I was that, that I was proud of. Um, I can't believe I'm about to. This is the most. I'm probably going to get flack for this from everyone, including you. This is the, the most like surface and shallow thing I could possibly say after everything you just said. But I was. But I meant to ask you earlier when you were talking about the high school that you went to and the sort of affluence and stuff. If later when you saw John Hughes movies, if those resonate for you, like they a do. lot of people in Chicago, especially I know, are like, "Oh God, I really could relate to the sort of like way that he comedically treated the sort of feeling the of emptiness. displacement and." Yeah, yeah, of the upper class high school experience. Um, I felt watching those like I was still an outsider. Like I don't like that. You know, is your uh, is your shirt a polo shirt or an Izod shirt? There was no wearing something else, and it was. Um, but I mean, Izod's better. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I missed the whole point. Yeah. I missed the whole point. But I did I did feel that way watching the John Hughes movies. Like, And his all of his stuff took place on the north side of Chicago. Um, oh, yeah, which is where my dad's from, not the south. Which was even more affluent than yeah. um, Flossmoor. But, um, but I did feel that um, that realness to his his movies. Uh, I don't think that was shallow at all. I think that was a, I think that was a good question. Yeah. 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 Well, the problem that I'm faced with now um, is that uh, is that I'm getting towards the place in my podcast where I would normally start my mash game and I don't want to feel like I'm doing something that's like superficial or trying to create like a levity in a conversation that maybe doesn't need it or want it. Um, so I can totally skip it too. It's just like, that's just something. And I've never I had this conversation on the mm-hmm. podcast before. This is the first time I've ever said like, well, here's what's going on with me. This is what I'm, this is what I'm what internally is happening to me right now is, um, ha- is that I'm, the, I have the, the, the spectacular burden of, uh, knowing all of the heaviness and really have like chewed on it for the most part <clears throat> on this episode. But I, but, but, but I also have a, uh, an experience of our friendship for the last 10 years of also you being someone that makes me laugh harder Mm -hmm. than just about anyone. So I'm really torn right now between wanting to coax out like the Paul that I, that does bring like the sort of light and beautiful, sunny, but also like biting acerbic and incredibly smart and fast like how fast your brain works i've always told you mm-hmm. is it blows me away like i don't know if i've ever known anyone who who like like i just worked with kevin nealon and that guy is fast like mm-hmm. he is so fast i can't track it i can't track the stuff that comes out of his mouth but it's very light humor and it's not necessarily like satire 
And the thing that's so specific about you that I've unlike anyone I've ever met is I don't know how you can be so sharp and so observational about something that can kind of also come from a really deep level that quickly. Like that's what is so blinding to me about you is it's you're silly, but there's something so smart and sharp about your silliness that um, I can't understand how you can be that articulate so quickly. I think so. being an outsider that has wanted to kill himself so many times. <laughs> God, <laughs> um, help me. I, I didn't say that I for it to be funny. It's I because know. you, you, all you, th- you, when you get comfort from the dark and trying to make sense of the dark, it's not hard to go to that place because it's, uh, uh, it's like the Lucy factory cake where darkness is just on a conveyor belt oh, going through your head and all I'm doing is pulling one of the cakes off of it. Yeah. I'm not like, oh, what is the darkest thing? It's like, you know, here's another instance where everybody's laughing and I feel like, not laughing at me, but enjoy, having experiencing joy and here I am stuck in my own hell where I can't experience joy. So, um, you know, when you find somebody who finds you funny, you can let the absurdity of that of that out. Yeah. And I had to I had to be funny as a four foot ten, eighty five pound sophomore to not get my ass kicked every day. So there's and and to make my family laugh because uh, it was so. I, I say that my family growing up was like the movie Ordinary People without the big laughs. Oh God. <laughs> It was it was to to cut the to cut yeah. the tension and um, yeah. and to try to stop my mom's negative tirades. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just always that darkness has has always been there, and to have somebody laugh at it is like nirvana to me yeah. because it makes me feel less alone. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, the let's, only- do, let's 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 do the game. Yeah, yeah it'll match- be fun. The Explain only- to me again how it works. Oh, I will, I will, and okay. I I have to go grab a pen really quick. But the only other thing I wanted to say about everything you just said is that um, I'm pretty sure it was chocolates and not cake on the conveyor belt. <laughs> was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because she started she started eating them. And I've been to be using that. With you, I didn't listen to anything you said after you said cake because in my mind I was thinking I think it's chocolate. So could you just repeat everything you said? Something about darkness. Terrible. And I've been using that fucking metaphor <laughs> for five years. I think it's chocolates. Yeah. Cake seems it big. Is. It is. Wedding cakes. Yeah. Wedding cakes and on a conveyor belt, right? Am I misremembering? I this? was thinking that she was have, trying to ice them. Tiny chocolates. Something yeah. about, because she doesn't, she, she's popping them into her mouth. Yeah. A uh, genius. And so you really fuck this up. Yeah, I totally. I think we're going to have to start over again. Um, give me three, and this will exercise your improv muscles too, and everyone knows that this is just like off the cuff, so your answers will probably be different in an hour. But let's say like three experiences that you and I had on dinner in a movie that you wish we could have over again. And you'll get one because it'll be like process of elimination at the end. The, uh, which I shared with you about uh, an hour and a half ago was the moment I felt like you came into your own, um, which was, I, do you remember the the movie that we showed, but you played a street urchin I character who either. angrily break danced at us as we tried to rescue her because she didn't it was like that cliche of she didn't want to be touched and she didn't trust anybody and and it was it made me laugh so hard and what i loved about it was is i laughed you started breaking character and i 
and I felt like I was peering into your soul that you were experiencing joy that you finally felt a part of the show because I know you struggled to feel a part of the show. You felt like an outsider because it had been going for, what, seven years before you came on board. Yeah. And um, I just remember that because I felt like you were finally a part of the family. And it's not that we were locking you out before then. It's that you had such self-doubt. Yeah. I think that's, and, yeah, I'm glad that this was about me. I really asked a good question. <laughs> I asked a very Jan and Barney centric question. Um, that's a great one. I don't know how you're going to top that, but I need two more. Uh, we'll end up with another one. moment would be, uh, this is a weird one, but it just popped into my head, yeah. is when we were driving around and Chris texted you that Michael Jackson had a died. Complimish. Oh, yes. Sorry. A complimish was the other. We just remembered this thing that we were trying to, before the podcast started, we were trying to remember a word that Paul kept saying, that Claude kept saying wrong one time when we were shooting, and we couldn't remember what it was, and it just popped in my head just like I said it was going to. He was trying to say accomplishments, and he kept saying a complimish, and he said it so many times that we were doubled over unwell. We were laughing so Crying. And uh, and I think they had that then as an outtake on the on the show. You're many a complimish. And the editor who had been doing the show for you know a number of years said to somebody, "I've never seen Paul laugh that hard." Yeah. And it it felt so good because when you're depressed, it feels so good when you laugh with your entire body. Oh and my that, god! That yeah. moment that that Claude. Um, couldn't get that word right. Yeah, uh, made me laugh so hard. Sorry, I don't. Yeah. I I literally don't remember I'm what gl- you were no. saying before that because it came in so fast and fierce. I had to. say I want to take that one back anyway, which was when when uh, Chris texted us that Ma- Michael Jackson had died, and we we're driving around in the car, <laughs> and I, I just totally remember, remember this. we were yeah we were just. Uh, you know, dealing with it by cracking jokes. We would go, oh my God, I can't believe that. And that horrible joke. Oh my God, can you believe he's gone? Horrible joke. Um, yeah. But another uh, moment. But this is what I'm going to say about that. Because that's what, I don't know if you remember the specific thing. But what I remember about that is that, <laughs> is that two things happen almost simultaneously. One was I... We were, the Chris was driving past the um, original. What's that donut place? The donuts, like the f- most famous donuts that everyone gets, that you're like everyone loves and says are the best donuts. I don't know. Like that you can get here. Why am I? Oh, Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kremes. We we. J- I can't remember which happened first, but either way, the basic conversation was. He said that's the original Krispy Kreme. Also, Michael Jackson has died, and you were like. <laughs> I don't believe that that's the original Krispy Kreme. I just don't buy it. <laughs> anyway, that's what I remember about that. I forgot about that. Oh, God. Okay, so you took yeah. that one back. Uh, yes, I so took right that one back. So right now we just have Street Urchin. And now are these favorite or or most memorable? This is just like a, a moment that you wish you could, that we could pop back uh, that to we could and pop like kind back. of re-experience. Um, well, I wouldn't want to experience this one again, but I will never forget it was the, the night that after we wrapped our last show and, and we were all taking pictures in a photo booth together and you and I were in there alone. It had gone from big you know, five of us jammed in there to just you and I. 
And all of a sudden, we both just started crying. Yeah. And I could not stop crying. I know, me too. And I remember being kind of embarrassed when I came out of there because I know my eyes were all red and swollen. But everybody was really sweet. They were yeah. hugging me and like they understood. You yeah. Know, that it was, I think that was a, re- it was a really good moment, you know, guys, just to make sure you know what we're talking about but like hopefully it's clear at this point i've talked about it on the podcast before but we did the show for seven years together paul of course had done it for seven years before that and um nine or nine years before yeah. that or maybe i was on it for eight years i don't know yeah. what it was but ultimately it was 16 years it was unbearable was on, right? let's just remember unbearable. that it was unbearable it was unbearable but it was sort of i think we knew enough in advance that the show was going to end that we'd had we'd still we had a couple of of shoot blocks to be together and know that we were saying goodbye to that chapter. And we, and we were kidding when we said unbearable, by the way. And we were kidding when we said unbearable. But um, once, but that moment was like the the first real moment where I think we were both able to acknowledge in a real way, like this is a thing that has been incredibly, profoundly wonderful in so many levels and it's over. And I don't think... Like, I really needed to process it in that moment with you in that photo booth. Yeah. I did. It was a third of my life. That show was a third so of crazy. my life. It's crazy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it would have been a, much more sad if you had lived in a different city and I knew that I wasn't going to see you again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, let's see, another moment uh, from dinner in a movie that, this wasn't a specific moment, but it's probably what I miss most about the show, which was you, Claude, and Steven, the makeup uh, guy, and I, um, every morning, because yeah. you would usually be in makeup longer than us, so it was when Claude and I would finish getting our makeup Listen, done. it takes a lot more. Yeah. It takes, just takes a lot more work. Uh, we would come in to Steven making you up in your room, and we would sit down, and we would just make each other laugh, and it... It was rarely more than 15 or 20 seconds until somebody was talking about fucking somebody in the ass or (laughs) sucking somebody off or it would just instantly devolve into the and people don't know that Claude probably had the sickest sense of humor of all of us and hilarious really 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 witty guy yeah he can pull out some chestnuts and we would just all make each other laugh because we were all we all genuinely made made each other laugh, and and Stephen um, was funny too. It was just, it, it was just family warmth. right there. Just that's warmth. a family, yeah. Warmth. It's it was just warmth. Yeah, um, that's the best I way love to that one. It. I love that one. I would love to go back to a moment like that as well. I can't believe you're not going to choose an Italy moment, just because that would put us back in Italy. Yeah, you know what? What would be the Italy moment that that you would uh, that you would pick? I enjoyed that run through the park that we had that one day, you and I. Um, oh, yeah, that was nice. I was even going to just say, I mean, honestly, just one of those days in Florence where, like, we ate gelato twice, you know, mm-hmm. just some day where we had enough time that we could just wander around together and just, you know, wonder at how it had come to be that we were even there in the first place and eat chocolate gelato, have a really nice meal. You know, because I'll tell you right now, I have very fond memories of you ordering, <laughs> you ordering a cappuccino 
when we were in Florence, just your your celebration of your lack of ability to speak Italian, which to someone else could come off that you were making fun of Italians, which is absolutely not true. You're just making fun of yourself. But like you would be like, listen, I'm going to get you a cappuccino. You want a cappuccino? I'm going to get you a cappuccino. And do a cappuccio, per favore. He's so over the top. <laughs> I would I would like to go back to Italy just to hear you order uh, due capuch. <laughs> per favore. Per favore. <laughs> One more time. Yeah, that was an amazing trip. That was an amazing trip. Do you want trip. to put that down or you can you can do another one if you want? Um Yeah, I think I think that's a right. I think that's a good one. I'm putting down due capuch. Yeah. And uh, amazing. Okay. Next is I'm going to okay. Uh you tomorrow you are going to be uh recording and listen, take all the insecurity out of it, take any pressure you might put on yourself out of it. This is pure joy, pure glee. There it, it will only go amazingly. Tomorrow, living or dead, you're going to be in a recording studio with a musician uh recording like a song with that with that person, three people. Um three people. Yeah, like cuz it'll be process of elimination oh i one. see um django reinhardt nice. john lennon i can't do lennon and mccartney together Yes, you can. Okay. Okay. Because my, my two f- musical time machine fantasies have always been going to see Django Reinhardt perform in the 40s with Stefan Grappelli at a cafe in Paris um, and sitting in on um, Rubber Soul and Revolver okay. being recorded. I love that you actually have specific music fantasies. So now it's not even that you're recording in a studio. It is those fantasies. I Watch just you. need one more. Um, probably... Probably either Led Zeppelin recording one of their first four albums or watching Mary Clayton sing Back Up on Gimme Shelter where her voice cracks oh, that moment. Um, you better choose one. Which one? Um, I like the second one because it's more specific. Yeah, probably that. And and she was in Curlers. She had been woken up. That's amazing. To come sing. And she didn't even know who the Rolling Stones were. That's amazing. What a great story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to go back and see that day happen. Possibly. Okay. Or it might be one of the other ones. Um, I'm going with my perennial favorite. Uh, three foods could be... How did I not pick Chaka Khan? <laughs> On any of these. Yeah. No Ch- no Chaka Khan has, has yeah. come into play yet. We'll see if we can work her in. Um, three foods uh, could be a very specific thing that you had, like that we had somewhere I don't know why I'm inserting myself into all your memories mm-hmm. uh, or just like a general food thing that you can have at your fingertips without any health ramifications. Uh, chicken tiki masala from uh, a place on Ventura Boulevard called Taj Mahal. It's the greatest Ooh, in the basmati like rice. Tiki masala. All right. Amazing. Great. Um, probably Aurelio's pizza, which uh, they were neighbors that I, I had growing up. And I even worked there, and it's just my favorite thin crust pizza in the world. And it's got a really specific taste. And whenever I go back home, I have to get a Aurelio's pizza. Love it. Um, and then a third food 
or can it be a food experience that we had? Um, I'll give you a food experience. Sure. Uh, that time in Italy that we ate at that little place oh, right God. by the, uh, was it the Pity Palace? The, it was Il Magazzino, I think was the name of the... Yeah, it was, it was the same day that, I guess it was the Pity Palace that we went to. Yeah. And they made this fried dough oh, yeah. with burrata cheese that was the most instantly satisfying, mind-blowing thing. And I think I also got pistachio risotto. Yeah, you did. Uh, and it was, uh, it was just the... Yeah, that whole meal, if we could fl- go back to that, would be amazing. Yeah. Um... Uh, okay, great, 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 great. Okay, uh, next category is going to be three... Things that came out of your ass that caught you <laughs> off guard. <laughs> caught you off guard? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I got to go with the devil's pitchfork. <laughs> yeah. At first, I thought it was Neptune. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Oh my god. Um okay. All right. Uh this is specific and weird, but three places you wish you could hang out with your dogs that probably you will never be able to hang out with your dogs for one reason or another. But uh, like you think it would be really fun to have no, them there. No, I thought about this. Okay, great. Um God, I'm really nailing them right now. Uh because we got to experience this with our first dog, which is that stretch of uh beach um in I think it's either Carmel or um, right by Pebble Beach. And it's this long stretch where there's seals like on rocks just, you know, 50 miles uh, offshore or 50 feet offshore. And just this long, long stretch of beach. And I just remember us throwing the ball to our dog and she just was so in heaven, just running as fast as she could down this this long stretch of beach. Um, that I loved. I would say maybe taking, the, if they if they wouldn't get lost, Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't be scared. And they wouldn't be because this is a fantasy. Um, probably walking through um, heavily wooded, redwood, um, kind of misty, mm-hmm. babbling brooks. There's a, a campsite in, near Half Moon Bay in San Francisco called Butano Creek State Park. And it's one of the most beautiful um, hikes not a strenuous hike, pretty flat, but just um, other world. Al- yeah, almost like a place where they would where they would shoot, uh, you know, like the, the, the Hobbit. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's like great. That. That's great. Okay, we've got the dogs there. Um, third place to to go with the dogs. I'd like to see them experience snow. Great. So, like a ski chalet. Great. And in where snow is like up to Herbert's nose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, you're mentioning camping gave me uh, my next category right here, which is any three places anywhere in the world um, you can go camping. Am I just deposited there or do I yeah. got to make the trek? Nope, you just blink of an eye, suddenly you get to just be there camping, enjoying. Uh, the summit of one of the highest mountains, probably not Mount Everest because that's so overdone and it's so cliche, um, but maybe like K2 or one of the... Um, one of the bigger ones, but a, a less obscure one on a clear day where, where you can see um, anywhere. Great. Um, Love it. Probably somewhere in Hawaii. Um, probably Kauai. Um, Great. And third place to camp? Mm-hmm. I think I've always wanted to go to New Zealand. Yeah, um, you would really love it there. 
But I'd also kind of like to pick some place maybe um, warmer. I think it's pretty warm there. Does it? Oh, yeah. In the summer, it's totally warm. It's oh, like okay. nice. Mm-hmm. It's just like here. Yeah. I would love for you to go to New Zealand. I know. I think it would just. I know it. one of the places I've I've always had a it. fantasy about um, being in a kind of desolate area of Antarctica, um, like doing uh, skis, mm-hmm. like traveling. Cross, cross, yeah, like cross country skis, like snowshoe sort of, and then country. setting up a really really solid tent, and um, and there's a, like a threatening weather outside where you can where you feel protected actually i'm gonna go one better than that and say an igloo great great love it love it love it love it okay um three i'm going okay all right i'm going uh three fantasy friends that uh living or dead just you know three people that it would be awesome if all of a sudden for some magical reason this person was like your dear buddy mm-hmm God, that's an interesting one. And maybe even I'm going to make it even more uh, extreme and say it's somebody that's almost like a parental figure. Like there is this sort of like this person is like a confidant, but also someone who is wiser than you that you Mm. can kind of come to and say, like, I really need your advice on this. Mm. I know that's a pretty profound one for me to just throw at you. It is. Um, I'm torn between saying the Dalai Lama or Gallagher. <laughs> well, the good news is you can pick both. Yeah. You can pick Dalai Lama, <laughs> the Gallagher, and one third one. You know they live together. I guess I didn't know that. Yeah, so I, I could I get a twofer that. on that one. <laughs> um, you know who seems fun to hang out with? Hmm. Um, Amy Poehler. Oh God, yeah, she's great. And but she, she also seems like if I had to cry, oh for sure, like she she's a would, very together, she would very be comforting as evolved well. Evolved person who is, I think, has maximized all elements of her personality. Like yeah. I think she's extremely compassionate, um, very grounded, and also like a hilarious person. Yeah. I love it. It's her a great comedy choice. seems to come from such a pure place. It's of a great. Fun. It's it's a great. Yeah. It's a great choice. Yeah. Maybe Paul McCartney. Yeah, why not? Because he just seems. I really thought you. Sweet. I was expecting you to say that earlier. Um, he seems really sweet. I totally agree. Tootsie era Jessica Lange. Oh, that's great! Great, great, great! God, that's such a great movie. Such a great movie. I was so in love with her after that movie. It hurt, physically hurt. Yeah. Talk about vulnerable. That's oh sort of like, God. yeah. And uh, did I tell you this? I can't remember if I, how much I've talked about this, but I, I, shockingly, I do think I've talked about it once before. Um, but I saw Dustin Hoffman intro um, Tootsie at the Arclight when they showed it one time. And he said, he just talked, he's a wonderful, uh, he'd probably right. be on my list of like, who's my sudden best mm-hmm. friend. Um, and he told this, he, he talked about like the fact that she was just coming off of Francis maybe mm-hmm. or whatever. And that she was just exhausted. And that I think he said, and I don't want to like misquote him, but I feel like what he said was, I was genuinely worried about her. I was worried for her health. I was worried about her. And I think he was like, I I kind of thought like she's not, 
like what is she doing like mm. is she showing up for this or not you know what i mean and that like and i don't again i don't want to misspeak but i'm pretty sure that basically like he was he was concerned that her her actual physical health and her emotional health he she seemed so exhausted that he was like is she going to show up for this movie that we're making and that he said like that kind of comes through in the movie and it made it even more brilliant than if she had come into the movie just like super you know spunky and peppy would have killed it this woman with this baby who's she's tired and she's allowed this dickhead to be her boyfriend because it's just easier that way because it's easier than having to ask for something better for yourself my rescuer has never had a bigger boner than for her in that movie it's like you just want and i also wanted to be rescued by her i just wanted to like go to a desert island with her and just do nothing but fuck and cry in each other's (laughs) arms (laughs) i get it i totally get it i totally get it um oh that brings me to uh, another perennial favorite of mine which is you can drop into a movie um for as long or as little as you like and just sort of live in that world and get it all over you for a little while god is that a great question yeah Oh my God, is that a great question? Um, assuming that there would have been, because it's one of my favorite movies ever, that they would still be coming up with new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe either Spinal Tap or Waiting for Guffman, and just because oh, yeah. Christopher Guest is so brilliant. Oh, I mean, yeah. everybody's good in in those, but um, those are like two of my favorite well, favorite you comedies. Put, you can list each one of those, or you can choose one and then do two more. But you get three. Um, I would say that would be my first one. Spinal and, Tap or Guffman? Um, I'm gonna go with Spinal Tap. Yeah, got it. Although, God damn it, Corky makes me laugh so I fucking know, hard. I know. Um, and then my second one, probably my second one, my third one would be either Godfather One or Godfather Two, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe Goodfellas. Godfather, Z, and Goodfellas. Got it. Got it. Although I could be a total perv and pick like some, you know, some movie where, you know, a bunch of hot chicks. <laughs> <laughs> I scantily, think of Hot Dog the movie. <laughs> yeah, scantily clad. Um, but no, oh. I'm, I'm going to take the high road. You took the high road. I'm so proud. Give in to my inner pig. I'm so proud. Um, and I hate that I said chicks. Yeah, already you're beating yourself up. Good job. Yeah. But that's the character of the person who would pick that movie would also say a bunch of hot chicks. Yeah. That's the movie. <laughs> so you're, I feel you're safe. Um, and then I'm going to go for my final category with three uh, hobbies that you either do and haven't been doing that you suddenly tomorrow feel r- refreshed and energized and you make something wonderful uh, or do something or visit somewhere wonderful or or uh, things also that you just have never tried that suddenly tomorrow you're sort of like um, an, an expert at. Um, definitely woodworking. I miss having the passion to go do that because when I'm really into it, there's nothing I love more than going into my garage and thinking of something that I want to make and spending time looking at slabs of wood, thinking what would be the perfect piece of wood to to make this. Um, I miss playing guitar and recording, you know, kind of writing instrumental songs. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I really miss having the passion to do that. Um, and probably my third one would be um, having the energy and passion 
to get um like I did some some pretty out there uh mountain climbing in the in the late nineties like I took a glacier climbing mm-hmm. oh wow class i one winter I went and we climbed frozen waterfalls um that's so cool, yeah, it was really intense, but really like the it was that that cool thing where there's an element of danger to it. And it makes you feel really alive. And there's also that the newness of it and the um, being so far away from civilization. There was a moment I had, I climbed uh, Mount Baker in Washington State when I was taking that glacier climbing class. And um, two moments that stuck out for me. I'll give you the, the funny moment first was we got out onto uh, a glacier that was sur- surrounded by uh, crevasses. So you weren't allowed to wander more than 25 yards in any direction because um, you could fall oh into one of these things. Well, all of a sudden, an hour into our eight-hour day, I got to take a shit. <laughs> and I'm like, ah! I go up to the instructor and I go, what do I do? Yeah. He said, hang your ass right over there. And it's, I'm 20 feet. Oh my from God. a class That's so crazy. of like nine people. And they were all respectful enough to turn their backs yeah. to me. But there is something so bizarre about shitting 15 feet away <laughs> into yeah. a glacier yeah. from with a like group, where, group like of people. When else are you going to find yourself in that position? You know? So Only bizarre. There. So amazing. bizarre. Um, but my favorite moment from that whole thing was one night um, – you're up high enough that you're above the tree line, so there's no wilderness. There's no wildlife up there. And when there's no wind and nobody's talking, it is pure silence. It's absolutely pure. And I'd never experienced that before, and I felt my body change. I felt my heart rate drop, and it it was a profound, profound experience. Um, oh so gosh. I would like to experience pure silence yeah. again. Oh, and I'm going to give you amazing. one more. Sure. I went backcountry skiing one time, and we when we came into camp, and it was snowing, and we found this little bowl where all the snow had fallen. We set up camp, and we were completely exhausted, and the sun was going down. And I put on my war- I got out of my uncomfortable boots and all that stuff, and I put on my biggest, fluffiest down everything. And I went and I laid in the snowbank, and again there was no wind, and the only thing I could hear was snowflakes falling on my oh. down hood, oh. and it was just that moment of just complete. bliss and satisfaction that's gorgeous i'm putting backcountry skiing in here this is unprecedented because uh, unprecedented because what's just happened is this will throw my whole count off uh because i've just added a fourth to one of these categories i'm fat i'm I'm very fascinated none of this i've thrown a wrench in everything yeah um but side note We'll talk about this offline, but um, I went snorkeling for the first time in Hawaii, and I just talked about this on the podcast, so I'm not going to, but that same feeling of like the quiet of just the sound of your breath and then whatever's happening in the water right in front of you was so profound. The greatest movie. so crazy. Snorkeling or scuba diving is the greatest movie I had no idea. I can't believe I'd never done it before. Okay, so I'm starting this thing that's going to allow me to do the tally to figure out which of these you got for your final. So tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay, so eight, and then I have this unprecedented fourth uh, line on one of these, so it's going to throw the whole count off. It's going to be fascinating. I'll be right back. All right, 
the conclusion of the JV Club uh, with Paul Gilmartin involves uh, some really wonderful things that have come to pass in this MASH future of yours. Um, first thing I want to congratulate you on, I feel like these two things are, uh, they are, I think they are definitely connected. So I'm going to start with them, which is, um, the backcountry skiing that you did with that wonderful feeling of sort of silence and quiet and peace, you're going to have that in conjunction with your camping trip where you end up uh, at the summit of a mountain, maybe like an Alp or someplace that is a little bit less widely known, um, but provides this incredible vista and this very peaceful, wonderful um, time for yourself to reflect. But then also you sort of get to do the skiing part of it as well. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, I, I guess I forgot to ask you what your vacate where your vacation home would be. So it's almost like it's camping slash maybe nearby. You also have you know man- mansion apartment shack and house is what Mash stands for. So you actually have an apartment somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's either that. So you either have an apartment somewhere near. Uh, maybe you have a little apartment uh, above. Uh, uh, lovely restaurant in the Swiss Alps or something or maybe it's where you you can also have your dogs and that seems also like it is a fit so could also be that your vacation apartment is um say like in Carmel or Monterey because you get to take the dogs out to that beach uh and run run around with them um I want to congratulate you on two upcoming trips back to Italy because not only are you going to revisit the meal that we ate uh, near the Pitti Palace, but on a separate occasion, we will be going back for you to order me a capuch. <laughs> both of the Italy things came true in the Smash game, so I'm excited about that. And they both involve me, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, maybe I'll allow you to also take your good buddy, Amy Poehler. She's probably a really fun person to be in Italy with. Um when you're tired of me and or Amy and you need to drop into uh, uh, the movie Goodfellas, <laughs> don't get yourself killed in Goodfellas, buddy. Be careful. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. You better keep your mouth shut or you'll never make it to your behind the scenes recording session participation slash observation of Rubber Soul. Oh, my God. With John Lennon and Paul McCartney. And that, my friend, is your MASH game. That is awesome. Things really panned out. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing the podcast, Peach. Love you. I love you, buddy. Check out the Mental Illness Happy Hour, guys. And um, we'll talk to you next time on the podcast. Oh, shit, I forgot. With the Boys of Summer now, I've insisted that uh, every episode I sing a sliver of the Don Henley song, Boys of Summer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably off key on that. I'll take it. Yeah. Nobody on the beach. Empty me. Sun goes down alone. Okay, this is the thing. What's great about that is, and I'm done. I have every opportunity in between these recordings to learn those words. <laughs> and I have never bothered. I continue to never listen to that song. So I always have absolutely no idea what the lyrics are. I can see you 
Still have your brown hair shining in the sun. Your brown skin shining, shining in, in the, the sun. sun. Got your hair combed back. And your sunglasses hair. on. Or is it Wayfarer's on? I think that's a different. Yeah. I think he says both in yeah. one in different verses. I can tell you my love for you will still be strong after the boys of summer have gone. God, do I <laughs> As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by The Amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.